you ever forget to pick up things just before you leave the house? Well, sat on the top of the piano is my illustration to open this morning's, ser- oh, this morning's sermon. So I've had to go and find another one, but it sort of works, so bear with me. Um, I've got a book here. It should have been Michelle Obama's um, autobiography, but it's actually an autobiography, well, of, of the Apostle Paul. And <laughs> slight difference, slight difference. I was trying to get a copy of Spare by Prince Harry, but nobody admitted to me that they owned a copy of that. Um, <laughs> But just imagine this has got Michelle Obama's face on it for a moment. And there's 454 pages written about her life. It was written when she was about 55. It goes into an awful lot of detail. And it's about that size of book. It's about that size of book. So you just have to use your imagination for a moment. Look at this book. Any idea what this is? Go on, somebody said something? Close. Luke's Gospel. Look at the size of it. Look how thin it is compared to those great big books that we write about contemporary people. And the 62 pages in Luke's Gospel, when you put it in a book of that size, there's not a huge amount to it um, by sort of modern standards. Now, there's probably a very basic reason for that. Parchment was expensive, and ancient writers couldn't write books of the length that we do today. But the reason I'm mentioning that is every part of Luke's Gospel is there for a reason. It's really condensed down about the life of Jesus. And even some of the trickier parts have an awful lot to teach us. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 37. Now, it starts off well enough. It starts off with a bit about the baptism of Jesus, quite a condensed um, version of that compared to the Gospel of Mark. But then we go into what is called a genealogy. Now, a genealogy is basically a long list of names of the ancestors of Jesus. And it's one of those passages that you can go and you can look at and you can think, oh, well, there's a list of names. Let's turn over and get into the action again. But actually, this has an awful lot to teach us about God, about Jesus, about who Jesus is. So I thought today, rather than skip over it, we'll dive into it and we'll see what we find. I'm not going to read it out to you. You might be mercifully blessed by that because it's just a long list of names that I can't pronounce. So instead, we're going to listen to somebody else read it for us. And it's from the ESV translation. So if you're following it on your phone, you might want to change translations. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, 
the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Okay, let's pray, shall we? <laughs> Lord, we need your wisdom to know what to do with that list of names. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit that has caused this list to be written down will inspire us this morning. We pray that as we look at this long list, that it will inspire us as to your hand being at work, both in history, in the future, and in our lives today. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's always wonderful, isn't it, when we get to dedicate a, a child or a baby, and I think there's been no exception this morning dedicating Iris. There is something visible and tangible when we see a young person growing up, and even having Leo on the drums this morning, you know, the sense of a, a young bloke with talent, you know, coming through our church, he'll be a drummer for now and for the future. But we live in a, a world where actually we value youth. We're always trying to stay looking young. We, we value um, youthfulness and vitality rather than age and wisdom. Have you ever wondered why that is the case? Have you ever wondered why that is the case? Fear, quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, I was reading something this week that, that suggested that there's one reason for this, or one of many reasons. And one is that in the Western world, we have gone through a period of 300 years of almost constant upheaval and change. So we've gone through an industrial revolution, we've gone through world wars, we've gone through urbanization, migration, and so on. And what's happened is it has uprooted us from our past. We no longer think about where we came from in the Western world. And the result is that most of us are more interested in youth and the future than we are about where we've come from and the past. Now, I include myself in this. You know, somebody said to me, name your great-great-grandparents. Haven't got a clue. No idea who they were. Even great-grandparents, I think I can name one off the top of my head. I would have to think really hard about that. But in many cultures, actually, people talk a lot about where they came from. An awful lot. Tom Wright, um, the, the theologian, writer, author, he talks about preaching to a church in New Zealand that was made up of the, the native Maori um, people of New Zealand. And they said, don't be alarmed at this list of names in Luke and worry about its accuracy. We have lists about our ancestors too. 
And they date back a thousand years. And each generation keeps them really carefully and passes them on because we need to know where we're from. We need to know where our roots go back to. So we're going to look at this baptism and genealogy of Jesus. And I want to look at, look at it through this particular lens. Which story do you belong to? Now, the word story is an interesting one, can't it? I don't know what you think of when we say story, but we can think of once upon a time type stories. You know, fairy stories, Disney type stories, those kind of things. But the word story is not restricted to the imaginary. It can also involve retelling the past or even something that is ongoing. We can tell our life story that hasn't finished yet. We could tell the story of Brexit. That'd be an exciting one. Or we can tell the story of all kinds of different things that have yet to come to the end. I wonder what you see yourself as today. Which story are you part of? Do you focus mostly on the story of you? The things that you're doing, where you're heading, your life? Perhaps you think about the story of your slightly bigger family unit. Or perhaps you think about yourself as the story of the location where you live. Or even of the nation, or even of Europe, or the whole world. Well, the ancient Jews, they saw themselves as part of a big story called by God to be a light to the nations. They saw themselves as part of a big story. My family tree goes down, as I presume most of us do, down two family lines. There's my mum's line, and my mum has um, gone onto Ancestry.com and done quite a lot of research as to where we're from. Um, she will be listening to this later, so I'll probably get a phone call correcting me that what I'm about to say is wrong. Um, but from what I can remember, the furthest back she got was about 1690 to um, some of our family that were living in a place called Wormhill. Sounds like it's from Lord of the Rings, but it's actually a village near Buxton. Another line of the family that comes from the banks of the River Trent, a place called Gunness near Scunthorpe. My dad's side of the family, the Bramwell name is Scottish. We came down apparently in the 1730s from Scotland and settled around the Manchester area. And you will find quite a lot of Bramwells, including some relatives of Tracy who's in the room here, um, who, who are Bramwells, who live around that Manchester area. Now Luke, what he does essentially is he records the two family lines of Jesus. The first one he records in the baptism, which is the divine origins of Jesus, who is fully God. But then he goes on to record the human ancestry of Jesus, because Jesus is also fully human. And when you get 100% God and 100% human, you get what's called incarnation. Jesus, who is both God and man. So Jesus, age 30. Now, age 30, the normal age at that point in history where people would start their profession, you go from being an apprentice to stepping out on your own, he gets ready to start his ministry. And at the start of his ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. Now, if you're here last week, Scott was telling us all about John the Baptist, and his baptism was for repentance. It was about getting back on track with God. It was a call to people to, to get ready for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. So why does Jesus get baptized? Jesus doesn't need to repent. He, he's perfect. He hasn't sinned. So why is he being baptized? Well, Jesus' baptism is important as it shows that he is willing to be obedient to his Father's call to everybody at that time. And he sets us an example as well. And just as a bit of a side point, this isn't the main thing we're looking at today, but if you're a follower of Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, can I encourage you, come and talk to me. Um, we've got a number of people interested in baptism at the moment, and very soon we're going to be doing a baptism course. So please come and talk to me about that. 
As Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven speaks, and the Father proclaims the status of the Son. You are my Son, whom I love. It's actually the word there means only Son. You are my only Son, the only Son of the Father. We sing at Christmas those rather complicated words in the carol, O come all ye faithful, begotten, not created. What that essentially means is that there has never been a time when Jesus didn't exist. This is what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is God's Son right from eternity. Now, that's quite a short family tree, isn't it? That's the divine side of Jesus' family tree. We then move on to Jesus, fully man. So why the long list of names? I hope you found that an intriguing list. You may have noticed a few that you recognize as the list went through. We'll, We'll come up and look at a couple of those in a moment. It's not unusual in Scripture to find long lists of names, to find these genealogies. There's around 25 or so of these in the Bible, and there's a lot more in the books that are sort of written at a similar time. And what Luke does is he does exactly the same as Matthew does in chapter 1, and he gets a list together of the ancestors of Jesus. Um, Now, if you were to go home this afternoon and say, well, I want to check Luke against Matthew, you'd be like thinking, well, these are a very different list of names. Someone's got this wrong somewhere. That's not the case. There is an explanation for that. What most writers think that Matthew is doing is Matthew is going down Joseph's line, whereas actually what Luke does is he starts to go down Mary's line. And so we get the two different lines of ancestors. They're very different in approach. It's a bit more complicated than that, but if I explain it in any more detail, we're going to lecture mode, which I'm sure will not bless you a great deal. So what, um, both Joe, what Matthew and Luke do is they take the line of Jesus' ancestry back through David. David is absolutely key in understanding Jesus because the Old Testament is full of prophecy that the coming Messiah, the chosen one of God, the one who God will send to save his people, will be of the house of David. And so we see that both Joseph's line and Mary's line go through the house of David. Jesus is an ancestor of David. But Luke has another purpose. He goes back further, much, much further, right back to the beginning, to Adam himself. And Luke has a real point in doing this because what he wanted to say is that actually Jesus is given for everyone. He's not just for Israel, although he is for Israel, but he's for every tribe and every tongue and every nation to bring people back to God. So we have this long, long list of names. If you've got a Bible open in front of you, just have a look at that list of names. If you've got your phone with you, you might find it helpful just to have these verses in front of you as we look through them. And it's complicated. And you'll be very glad to know we're not going to go through each one in turn. Uh, but there are some passages in the Bible that actually you need to like, go in into great detail to understand what is happening. And you need to get your, sort of, your lens that will look right at individual words and things like this. This is almost like the reverse. You have to come out and take a panoramic shot of this whole genealogy to make sense of it. I just want to pull out some of the famous names in here. We may have heard of some of them. David, King David, king of ancient Israel. Jesse, his father. Boaz, famous from the book of Ruth. The great patriarchs of the Israel, Israelite nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did you notice Methuselah was in there? We've already sung his name this morning. We must be the only church on the planet that sings about Methuselah once a month. I'm sure we should be in the Guinness Book of Records for that. Right the way back to Adam. Fatherless, named as the son with a small s, 
the Son of God, a created being just like we are. But here is a list of people who are very human. People like you and me. People who do some good things, but do some bad things as well. People who had successes in life, but also people who mucked up big time. Just to pull out three of the most famous names in that passage. David again. David was Israel's greatest king. He was named by this in the scriptures as being after a man of God's own heart. He wrote many of the Psalms, including that most famous of all, the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He was a man of poetry, of music, a man of of, um, great sort of spiritual depth. And yet one day, when he should have been at war, he finds himself on the roof of a house. He oversees a woman in a bath. He ends up committing adultery, and he ends up having her husband murdered. What a slippery slope he has gone down there. What a failure as a human being. And it causes havoc, both for him personally and for the nation. Noah, I'm sure we've all heard of Noah, Noah and his famous ark, Um, a great person of obedience, doing this most ridiculous thing, it seems, by building this huge boat inland. Obedient to God, but then at the other end, what happens? He comes out of the ark, he has a party that gets a bit excessive, drinks far too much, takes his clothes off, lies there naked and shames his whole family. And so we find another failure, another very human failure. Adam, Genesis records as the first human, created by God and placed in a world without spot and blemish, a world without sin. What does he do? He mucks it up. He mucks it up. And it's through Adam that decay and death enter into human experience. The line of human ancestry is a line of flawed humanity. It's a line of people who've done good stuff, but mucked up as well. Now, many of these names are just names. We don't know anything about them. They're not talked about again in the Bible. They're just recorded by Luke. And um, I find this list, in some ways, really saddening. Because it reminds me that my own ancestry is exactly the same. Through lines of people, some who have done some amazing things, but is essentially flawed humanity. Broken. Unable to save ourselves. But then I also see God who is gracious. And God who comes and works even with us in our flaws. And today you may be sat here thinking, well, God could never use me because I've done X, Y, and Z. God used all this list of people. You might be thinking, well, actually, I've not got a lot to give to God, but actually God used all this list of people, and they're all listed in the ancestry of Jesus, the Messiah. There is nothing at all we can ever do that puts us outside of God's grace. God is always there if we turn back to him to welcome us back. So what Luke is doing is giving us the two sides of the family tree. Jesus, who is fully God, but also fully human. Two very different family backgrounds. One saviour, one perfect Jesus, who lives a perfect human life in the way that nobody ever has done before or since. I want us to think about these two stories moving forward for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We get these two family trees 
fully God and fully human. But Paul, the writer of the New Testament, starts to carry this forward and say, well, which story do you want to be part of? Do you want to be part of the ongoing Adam story, the story of failure, the story of problems and of sin and of death? Or do you want to join in with the story of Jesus, the account of Jesus moving forward, the one who takes our humanity, the one who will live life perfectly, will fulfill the Old Testament law, the one who is then crucified on a cross for the sins of the world, taking on the ultimate enemy that our sin causes, death itself, rising again to new life, calling us to a new birth, calling us to follow him. See, the story of Jesus is one of rescue. We are rescued when we choose to respond to him. We are reconciled, firstly, to God. We are made friends with God, but also with each other. And we become part of the great renewal that God will bring about of all things. I don't know what you call a genealogy if you start writing it forward. But I just want you to think, imagine if Luke carried on and went down the line of people who followed on after Jesus. Scott was mentioning last week that actually in the Old Testament, um, there, there are certain people who are called friends of God. But in the New Testament, through what Jesus has done, we can be called sons and daughters of God. So just imagine if this list went forward of people who followed on after Jesus, part of the new family that Jesus has brought about. Well, it would include people like Luke, wouldn't it? It would include the Apostle Paul, Peter, John. It would go right the way through the history of the church with names splattering in from every nation. People who have said yes to Jesus. People who have said yes, count me into this story. I want to be part of God's family. But you see, this ongoing story, this ongoing narrative of God's rescue to the world, it won't just sweep all of us up into it. We have to make a decision to say, yeah, I want to be in. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of that family. The list of Jesus' ancestors, the human list, is really a list of trial and failure and rebellion. And sadly, this continues. You know, 2,000 years after Jesus walked this earth, if we just go down straight down the human line of history, do we think we've got any better than we were 2,000 years ago? There's a few, mm, not quite sure. Some things possibly, you know, if we want to talk humanity up, you know, we now live in a world where many diseases can be dealt with, where many things can be healed that actually used to kill people. We might look at our technological advances and think we're capable of doing so much more than we used to. We look at our building, our art, our music, and think, well, yeah, there's wonderful things that, that through, through God's gifts to us that we've created. Think about our science. We know so much more about the universe than they did in Jesus' day. But for all of that success... Human failure is all too apparent. Just think of the last century or so. Two world wars, the Holocaust, pandemics, the climate changing, technology so advanced, and it seems almost every time I put the news on, somebody is talking about AI and how it could turn our lives upside down in a bad way if it's not regulated properly. And for all our success, for all our claims as human beings of enlightenment, we have got no better at reversing death. We have nothing of hope to offer one another without Jesus. We can sort of tweak aging. We can, you know, use Botox or have a facelift or whatever. But we can't change our inner self without Jesus. We have not got anything that we can offer. So what does Luke do? Well, he leaves us with two stories. One of new life. One of new birth. One of renewal. One that is in God, in Christ. And one that just continues that line of humanity that is failed 
and broken. So what do we do with what I think is a, a most incredible passage of the gospel? Well, the first response is, well, which story do you want to be part of? If you've not yet said yes to being part of the Jesus story, can I encourage you to think about that deeply this morning? To hear what Luke has said and to just think about the claims of Jesus. But I know for many of us in this room, you know, we know this story. We've heard much of this before. But I just want us to reflect about different stories in our lives for the moment. You know, each of our lives are full of many stories, aren't they? You know, if I sort of think about my life today, there is the story of me, um, the things that I've done, the things that I hope to do in the future. Um, there are then the stories that as a family, as an immediate family, me, Claire, and our two boys. Um, there's then the story of my wider family. We could pull my parents into that, my brother, my sister, you know, Claire's family, so on, and we could spread it out. There's then stories that we make with friends, you know, people who, who we have chosen to, to share life with. There is then the story of me as a musician. There's the story of me as a homeowner. There's the stories of my holidays. And the list of stories goes on and on and on. Some of these we can give great significance to. But actually, I just want to quote C.S. Lewis for a moment. You know, I think it should be compulsory reading for Christians to read the Narnia stories. I think there is so much that they can teach us about who God is, um, and we get a good story to go with it. But the last of the Narnia books... Um, the last battle where, where C.S. Lewis looks towards the end, he says, and he's talking about eternity, he says, we get to be part of the greatest story ever told. I love that. The greatest story ever told. You know, there are all kinds of stories in life. Some of them are really important. And let, let's not say that they're not important. There may be stories in your life at the moment that are causing you pain or causing you joy, and that you may need to give attention to those. But this story of Jesus, the story of his great rescue, the story of eternal hope, the Bible says is the greatest story ever told. It is the greatest. Is it getting drowned out by other stories in your life? Is it getting drowned out in my life by the other things that I'm focusing on? You know, perhaps we look at our world and we say, well, I can't focus on Jesus because I'm so concerned about other things. I'm concerned about the plight of refugees or I'm concerned about the, the cost of living crisis. You know, Jesus is concerned about all those things as well. We'll see that as we unpack Luke's gospel. But Luke puts front and center the claims of who Jesus is. Jesus, the Son of God, who will come and rescue us and bring us into new life. I was chatting with another minister on Wednesday, and we, we were having this conversation, it was quite an interesting one, about spiritual hunger. And um, just sort of saying, you know, how do we encourage ourselves and churches to have a real hunger for Jesus? And I think part of it is simply putting this story right at the center of who we are. Not getting distracted by other things. Not letting other things pull us away from talking about Jesus and talking to other people about him. Same day on Wednesday, I was in the church office. And I don't know if you remember Wednesday afternoon, if you were in Lim, it absolutely tipped it down for a few minutes. And I took um, a picture there out of the front of church. And I don't know if you can see that the, the road had turned into a sort of minor river and there was water pouring over the top of um, the, what do you call it? I won't say canopy, canopy. Which one's the right one? Canopy, canopy. Canopy is something quite different. <laughs> I wasn't eating canapes sat out of the front of church. But it was just a reminder, you know, sometimes in life we just need to pause 
We need to pause and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be filled again with your Holy Spirit. Just as the water pours on the parched land, just as we've seen over the last week as the weather has gone from really hot to typical British weather, we've seen our gardens almost sucking up the rain and saying, thank you, God, for watering us. You know, just as the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism, we need, to, we need that. We need that refreshing. So I just want to leave you that very simple question today. Which story? Which story is your story? Which story do you want to be part of? I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. Let's pray. Just in the stillness, perhaps you just want to reflect on the different stories in your life that are ongoing. Just into those stories, perhaps think about these two sides that we've looked at about Jesus today and this call to be part of the in Christ story. Perhaps just in the stillness, ask the Lord to challenge you, to encourage you, to keep his story front and center. To become part of, as C.S. Lewis said, the greatest story ever told. Lord, we thank you that you call us into new life. We thank you that through your work on the cross, through taking our sin, through taking our rebellion against you, you call us to new birth. You call us to be part of a new creation. And that one day we, in you, will see the renewal of all things. Lord, keep that story front and center, we pray. For Jesus' sake.